Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Good morning and welcome to Coastal. Uh, I'm Pastor Chris. Great to have you with us today. Uh, if you're watching online, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, we're glad that you've joined us as well. Great to be here to together, though. I'm excited. I just love, I look forward to Sunday morning every week. It's my favorite day of the week, being together uh, with my Coastal family uh, today. Oh, by the way, just one other thing. Next Sunday uh, is, begins uh, our 40-day fast. Uh, so if you haven't yet signed up for that, also on your Connect card, uh, we'd love for you to participate. I know we just did a fast as a church uh, back in the fall for Daring Faith, uh, but this is going to help uh, better prepare uh, you as an individual, us as a church, uh, as we make our way uh, to Easter weekend. Uh, Easter fast begins next Sunday. Be praying now and thinking about what you could deny yourself, give up uh, as you focus on your relationship with the Lord. And then uh, we'll be sending you out some encouragements uh, about uh, your fast as you uh, join us uh, in, in this journey together. So today, speaking of journey, uh, we are in week three of our journey with Jesus. Uh, as each week together, we are looking at uh, some of the different encounters and interactions uh, that Jesus had uh, with different people. And uh, like I said last week, Jesus never left people or situations the way he found them. Uh, he changed things. He changed people. And uh, honestly, that's kind of the goal of this series, that as you encounter Jesus in his journey, and you see as he changes other people, that he's going to change you and your journey. So today, we're going to eavesdrop on a very interesting conversation that Jesus had with a man who was searching for spiritual truth. Maybe that's you today. Let me just stop just for a moment and, and just address that for a second. Maybe that's you. You know, you're here today, maybe it's your first time, maybe you've been coming for a little while, um, but you're searching. You're searching for spiritual truth. And uh, quite frankly, you're worried if that's okay. You know, if it's okay to be searching and attending a church. So let me just say this loud and clear as the pastor of Coastal. You're in the right place. You are. You are welcome here as you search. Uh, your questions are welcome here. I'll go, I'll go as far as say this. Your doubts are welcome here as you search. Now, let's talk about this encounter as you continue your search with us this morning this, that Jesus had. Um, I said that this conversation that Jesus had was interesting, okay? Well, it's interesting for two reasons. First of all, it's an interesting conversation because of who it's with, okay? And then secondly, uh, it kind of stands out because of when they had the conversation. So let's talk about who the conversation is with. The encounter conversation is found in John chapter 3, and it's with a man by the name of Nicodemus. Listen to verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So right off the bat, here's what we know about Nicodemus, okay? First of all, this guy is a Pharisee. Now I realize that when I use the term Pharisee today in the 21st century, that we automatically come to mind a very negative perception, okay? We associate the, the word uh, Pharisee with another word, uh, hypocrite. Okay, that's just kind of the way we view this word, this term Pharisee. But in the first century, 
okay? When this was taking place, uh, the Pharisees were widely respected for their intense uh, piety and deep scholarship. These men had taken a solemn vow to devote their entire life to keeping and living by the Ten Commandments. That meant studying the Scriptures diligently, praying several hours a day, giving a tithe of everything they had, and being deeply, deeply concerned about their morality and the morality of everybody around them. Now, there were never more than 6,000 Pharisees at any given time because they were a select group, and not many men could live up to the kind of personal sacrifice that was required to become a Pharisee. Now we also know that Nicodemus was a member of this uh, select 70-member Jewish ruling council. It was called the Sanhedrin. Now, as you might expect, only the leading men were selected then to this prestigious position. Okay, so this is Nicodemus. Now, in our language today, in the 21st century, he'd be like a college professor, a judge on the Supreme Court, a United States senator, and a bishop in the church, all rolled into one. Okay? So that's this man, Nicodemus. The Sanhedrin had the religious authority over every Jewish man in the world. And then we find down in verse 10 that uh, Jesus uh, refers to Nicodemus as Israel's teacher. Okay, so he's a member of the 6,000 super strong spiritual society. He's uh, one of the 70 lofty leaders. And now we read, discover that he's Israel's instructor. So this guy is like the top dog. He's the top dog morally, socially, religiously, and politically. And that's why this conversation is so interesting. Because typically, you know, as as we've all been reading through the Gospels together, right? In the 100-day challenge, Jesus seems to always reach out to the down and out. Okay? The poor. The hurting. The misfits. You know, the ones in society that, uh, you know, would have been cast aside and looked down upon by everybody else. But that really doesn't describe Nicodemus outwardly at all. Okay, because outwardly, I mean, this dude looked like he had it all together. And yet something is missing. And deep in his heart, he knew it. In fact, I think I can make a case today that in many ways, Nicodemus really is just like many people here in our community today. I mean, come on, everybody. This is the deep south, right? I mean, we, I like to say that we believe in the three C's here in the deep south. College football, cars, NASCAR that is, and church, right? I mean, those things are just a part of The culture here in the Deep South. Even our nickname here in Charleston is what? What kind of city? The holy city. But for an awful lot of people, it's just what we do, right? I mean, if you grew up here in the Deep South, it's just kind of a a part of the culture. Religion. We have it. We have religion. I mean, we are good, moral, well-mannered people. You know, we... We treat people right. We talk about you behind your back, right? In the deep south. And yet, so many people, and maybe you today, 
All you have is religion. And you don't really know Jesus. You don't have a a personal relationship with Jesus. In other words, Jesus really has no bearing or effect on your everyday life or decisions. You see, the Pharisees made a couple of basic and very tragic errors that so many people still make today. They externalized their religion and they believed that if they just worked hard enough, okay, follow this, if they were just good enough, they could make it to heaven. In fact, you know, if you were to ask a lot of people today, if they're going to go to heaven when they die, they would respond something like this. Well, sure, I'm a pretty what kind of person? I'm a pretty good person. You know, on the scale of of things, you know, my good slightly outweighs my bad. I go to church. I'm a good person. And some of you might be on that same path. You know, the other reason I think this conversation is so interesting is really because of when it takes place. Don't miss this either. Verse 2, he came to Jesus when? He came to Jesus at night. And he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. So, in other words, this is the original Nick at night. Okay? But why? I mean, ask yourself why. Why? Why would Nicodemus come at night? Well, perhaps, you know, it's because that, uh, you know, he knew Jesus was a controversial figure and uh, he couldn't risk being seen with Jesus publicly, so he comes at night. Or maybe he wanted to have a a longer conversation with him, a, a longer kind of interview with him. So, you know, he goes at night. But I think, I think there's more to the story than just that. I think the fact that he risked his own position to come to Jesus at night speaks to his own personal need. I think it also could be argued that the word night here is kind of a symbol of his own spiritual condition because at this point in the conversation, at this point in his life, he is still in the dark. Now notice what he said. We know you are a teacher who has come from God. In other words, listen to me. Nicodemus knew. He knew in his heart that Jesus was not just a man. He knew in his heart that Jesus was more than just a a great teacher from Galilee. He knew in his heart that this man must be from God. You see, I think so many of you are on that same path. And I think this is a great picture of when so many people today, very first, you know, cry out to God. It's late at night. You're all alone. Just you and your thoughts and you know. You know in your heart that Jesus is not just a good man. 
you know in your heart that he is so much more than just a great teacher. You know that that he's come from God. And so what are you doing? You're seeking him out. And you come late at night and you pour your heart out to him. And by the way, don't miss the significance of just how accessible Jesus is to Nicodemus at this time of the night. I mean, no doubt, Jesus already put in a full day and yet he's fully engaged with Nicodemus here, ready to receive him, to meet him at his greatest time of need, any time of the day, any place, anywhere. Don't miss that. There is no unacceptable time for you to meet the Savior. Listen, maybe that's what you needed to hear today. You can come to God anytime, anywhere. He is always ready for you. It just takes one step of faith for you to reach out to God. He is waiting on you. Jesus is always ready to receive you. Now, with all of that as the context, that brings us to several great truths that Jesus tries to tell this religious man. And I think Jesus is wanting to speak the same truth to a lot of people here, maybe many that are watching, and maybe some of your friends. What are those truths? Truth number one, being good is never good enough because it's not about religion, it's about rebirth. It's not about religion, it's about a rebirth. Look at John 3.3. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are what? Born again. By the way, isn't it interesting that Jesus, I mean, man, he just cuts to the chase here. There's no like little chit chat. I mean, he he just gets right to the point. And he elevates what he's about to say by the use of this little phrase here. Very truly I tell you. In fact, in some translations you might read, verily, verily. Okay? In other words, Jesus is about to say something big, something very profound and monumental. And what exactly does he say? Jesus tells Nicodemus that the only way that you're going to find what it it is that you're really looking for, you've got to be born again. Now follow this. You see, what he was saying is that instead of trying to reform yourself, You've got to be reborn. It's not reform, it's reborn. Now, that would have completely turned Nicodemus' entire life, his entire worldview, upside down. In this one short sentence, Jesus sweeps away practically everything that this religious man had stood for and almost everything he'd ever known. In fact, it's obvious that Nicodemus is a little confused here because verse 4 we see that he's ready to head back to the delivery room. Look at look what he says. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asks. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their, into their mother's womb to be born. Nicodemus is scratching his head. And he, he, he misses the point. Because Jesus is not talking about a second physical birth. But he's talking about a different kind of birth, a spiritual birth. Sure, Nicodemus, your your physical birth introduced you to the physical world. But if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you have to have a spiritual birth. 
Now, that leads us to the second thing that Jesus wants Nicodemus to understand, the second thing that maybe you need to catch today. Being good is never good enough because it's not about systems, it's about the Spirit. Verses 5 and 6, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. Now again, what in the world is Jesus talking about here? Well, I actually think Nicodemus would follow this because being an Old Testament scholar, Nicodemus would have understood that, you know, anytime someone talked about water, they were talking about cleansing and and purification. By the way, that is also a part of what baptism symbolizes for us today, right? It's not a it's not a physical cleansing. No. It's a a spiritual cleansing. It's It's a symbol of our spiritual rebirth, something that only God could do. In fact, Nicodemus would have hearkened back to uh, Ezekiel 36. Listen to this. Then, this is God speaking, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and I'll give you a tender, responsive heart. And the point is, only God can do that. Only God can can clean people truly. Only God can give people a new heart. And Jesus is saying here that just trying harder or being good, that's that's never going to work. Because in in and of ourselves, okay, our flesh, our physical bodies, we can't clean ourselves up. We can't clean up our hearts. Only the Spirit of God can do that. Only the Spirit of God can clean your heart. And so he's trying to tell Nicodemus, and I think he's trying to tell us today, hey, ultimately, it's not about rules and regulations and religion because at the end of the day, none of that can clean your heart and uh, none of that can give you a new spirit. Now, just to make sure there's no confusion, Jesus repeats it again in verse 7. He says, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Now get this, because it's interesting. Jesus doesn't say here, well, I kind of recommend that you be born again, or I think it'd be a good idea for you to be born again. No. He says, this is not optional. You want to see God. You want to go to heaven. You want to be a part of my kingdom. You must be born again. So, I want to be crystal clear here today with everybody. Listen up. I'm not talking about your church membership. I'm not talking about your baptism, your giving, your life group attendance, your personal morality. Hey, remember, Nicodemus would have gotten an A-plus in all those categories. This was a good man. He was religious. He studied God's Word. But here is Jesus, the Son of God, looking him in the eye and saying, Nicodemus... You must be born again. All those things are great, but in and of themselves, they will not save you. You want to go to heaven? You must be born again. You see, Nicodemus stands as an example to everybody 
that being good is not good enough. You know, I've made this next statement um, many, many times over the years. Now, quite frankly, usually, I actually say this at a funeral. Okay? Here it is. Good people don't go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. I usually say that at a funeral because I think people come at those times and those moments and they're searching for something to say and all they can come up with is, well, so-and-so was a good man. So-and-so was a good woman, a good person. I don't want to be known as a good man. There's only one who's good. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And I put my faith and trust in Him. And because of His goodness, I'm His child. I'm forgiven. You see, we're only forgiven, we're only made brand new by the grace of God. So what is grace? Grace is God giving me something that I can't obtain on my own. Grace is being accepted by God even though I don't deserve it. And I'm not worthy of it. And the Bible teaches that we receive that grace one way and only one way. By faith. By putting all of our trust in what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, God saved you by His grace when you believed. Another translation says, through your faith. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you've done so that none of us can boast about it. Again, he's saying you can't work for it. You can't earn it. It is a gift that can only be received by faith. And so that leads to the third truth. Being good is never good enough because it's not about cracking some secret code, you know, in other words, it's not, it's not just you know, for a few people who figure it all out. No, it's about making a commitment to Christ. And this is, where, this is where Jesus is leading Nicodemus, and I think this is where he wants to lead so many of you today. And I love how Jesus pulls it all together for Nicodemus, and he does so by using, this is so cool, one of Nicodemus's all-time heroes, Moses. I mean, think about it. Moses was the giver of the what? The law. The same law that Nicodemus was so set on obeying and figuring out and understanding the minutia of and keeping everybody accountable to, keeping the law. Okay, so drop down to verses 14 and 15. Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, some of you might be scratching your head at this point again, wondering, okay, again, I don't get this. What in the world is Jesus talking about? But again, to Nicodemus, remember, this would have been a very familiar story. In fact, it's found in Numbers 21, and it's the last known miracle that's performed by Moses. So the Israelites at this point, remember, they've been wandering around the wilderness. They're in a jam, okay? They are. Their camp, uh, their, their camp in the desert had become infested overrun, get this, you ready for this? With poisonous snakes. 
Ugh. I mean, just think about that. Remember down in Florida a couple of weeks ago, iguanas were free- freezing and falling from the trees on everybody? Did you read that? It was crazy. Well, could you imagine, you know, where you live just being infested with poisonous snakes? And the Bible says that many of them had been bitten at this point. Many of them had died. And this was a part of God's judgment for their constant complaining and whining and rebellious attitude toward Moses. Now, you ought to think about that the next time you whine and you complain. You know, maybe God's going to zap you with some snakes, okay? So, after scores of people die, they plead with Moses to go to God that God would take the snakes away. So Moses does. He, he, and God tells him to make a bronze snake and to erect it onto a pole so that all the people could see it. And then he says that if somebody got bit by a snake, all they had to do was to look at that bronze snake on the pole and they would be healed. Now, that almost sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? I mean, you'd kind of expect God to say, okay, children of Israel, you need to sacrifice, you need to make an offering, you need to say ten Hail Marys, you know, something, right? Anything. No. All they were required to do was to look at that pole in faith. My guess is some people probably brushed aside the whole thing, thinking, oh, come on. That's too easy. I'm not going to do that. And so they just chose to ignore God's provision. And if they did, they died. Now, what does all that have to do with, with Nicodemus and with you and me and being born again? So here's the deal. We have all been bitten by the poisonous snake of sin. Each and every one of us. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. And left on our own, we are all going to die from that venom in our soul. The only antidote is to personally accept the sacrifice of God's Son when He was lifted up on that cross. You see, when Jesus died, it's as though He took the poison of sin on Himself as our substitute in order to deliver anyone who would choose to come to Him in faith from It's consequences. In fact, it's exactly what Paul was describing in 2 Corinthians 5.21 when he said, For God made Christ who never sinned. Okay, again, you see, He was the only one who is good enough. He was good enough who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. It's just like the bronze snake that was lifted up in the wilderness. All the people had to do was to look at it in faith and they would be saved. They'd be set free in the same way. Listen to me. This is important. When you look to Jesus with eyes of faith, his sacrifice on the cross will be applied to your life. If you don't, the poison of sin will end up consuming you and you will die in your sin.
you must be born again. Now all of that, follow me for a second, this is important. All of that that I just shared, that sets the context for the most famous verse that we've all heard and that we all know, the, the, the forceful words of John 3, 16 and the verses that follow. Listen to this. Again, all that sets that context for this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. God's love for you and for me is so intense that he was willing to give up the most precious thing that he had, his one and only son. And he did it so that you could be saved through your faith in him. That's what believe means. It means that you, you rely on Christ so completely that you you give over everything that you are, all that you have, and all that you hope to be to Jesus as your Savior and Lord. You see, God's gift of salvation, this gift of being born again, it's available to everyone. To everyone. But you have to personally receive it by faith. That's exactly what the Bible says in John chapter 1. Listen to this. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become what? What's it say? Children of God. They are, here's the word again, reborn. Not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Now, at the end of this conversation, late at night, we don't know for sure that at this moment, Nicodemus becomes born again and places his faith in Christ. But we do know, at some point in his journey, he was born again. And he becomes a follower of of Jesus. In fact, in John uh, 7 51, we know that he stands up in front of the same religious leaders that he had been a part of, and he defends Jesus Christ. And then after Jesus, is di Jesus dies, Nicodemus is the one who partners with Joseph of Arimathea and helps to bar bury the body of Jesus. And then in John 19.39, um, we read that Nicodemus brings 75 pounds of spices to anoint the body of Jesus. And so my point is this, is that we see here this journey for Nicodemus. It, it, that's what it is. It's a process. It's a path. He first hears about the new birth. 
that he's got to be born again. And then he starts taking steps toward Jesus to the point, at some point, where he personally crosses the line of faith and he declares publicly that I'm a follower of Jesus. He crosses that line. And so I'm just going to say it. I wonder this morning where you are on that path. And I think maybe some of you are ready to respond to the invitation to be born again. Because don't fool yourself. The only man who went went to the cross and was killed and came back to life said this, You must be born again. It's not about you being a good person. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Friends, you can search all you want, but you're only going to find what you're looking for in Jesus. And I think it's just time to admit that you're never going to be good enough and say yes to Jesus' invitation. Being good is never good enough because it's not about religion. It's about a rebirth. Being good is never good enough because it's not about systems. It's about the Spirit of God. It's not about some secret code that you've got to figure out. It's about, at some point, you personally making a commitment to Jesus. Jesus said, you must be born again. What about you? Are you? Are you? If you're ready to receive Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you're ready to be born again by His Spirit, I want to invite you to do so right now in a prayer. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this encounter that Jesus had 2,000 years ago with a religious man by the name of Nicodemus. God, there's a lot of religion here in our community. And there might be some people here in this room right now or watching this message, and that's all they have. It's just religion. Listen today, cast all that aside and put your faith in Christ and Christ alone. Pour your heart out to a loving, forgiving God right now and say something like this, Dear Heavenly Father, I admit it. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe. I believe. I put my faith and trust in Jesus and in Him alone. I believe He's your Son. I believe He went to the cross for me and my sin. I believe He rose from the dead to prove it, and He is alive. And Father, for the rest of my life, I just want to follow Jesus. I ask Him now to be my Savior and to be my Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. I pray these things today. In the beautiful, beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.